this week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to William Gibson. Not that William Gibson. Or is it? The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. Oh, I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, if we're just supposed to call her Angel in the morning, what do we do about this whole Twilight thing? And is it pronounced Bipred or Bapurd? Plus, it's a given that Snookums gets more chicks than Steven, but what about me and Rodrigo? Plus, Pete Parker gets the axe. I wonder if Mephisto had anything to do with it. And the days get brighter, day by day, day by day. But I can't find my Superman shirt, so I can play Jesus. Mark Twain has come to snort snuff and kick ass, and he's all out of snuff. Good heavens, Miss Takamoto, you're beautiful! Yes, join us here in the elegant pump room high above Chicago as we thankfully stop being just two fat honkies in the basement talking about comics. We're back to our full multicultural splendor as we ask that musical question. Is LBJ's song really Jan Berry? The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air! Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Rodrigo, back in the house. That's right. Yay! And I am particularly non-sequitory tonight. Obviously. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that was about. <laughs> so The hell? Check this out, Matthew. I know you're a big Buffy fan. Yes. For all of yes. Season 8, or most of Season 8, we've been wondering who the big bad is, this Twilight character. And we've I even thought been... it was a Barack Obama. <laughs> if you believe, <laughs> if you believe that one cover, yes. Uh, but you know, supposedly, is it next week? Two weeks from now, depending on when you're listening to this. Hello, future people. I know you missed that line. Uh, you know, they're going to make that reveal, but it's been very hush hush, and no, it's not hush uh, throughout the <laughs> t- entire time period. Yet, Dark Horse sent us their comic book solicitations for March of 2010. I thought it was, wasn't it Stephanie Brown? No. <laughs> Blamicus, as Matthew would say, right there on the front cover. Blamicus. Right there on the front cover is Angel making it with, with Buffy. And we find out that Angel is Twilight. And you know what? No, I, actually. I agonized. When I first saw that, I was like, ooh, great. I'm putting this as the uh, the picture icon for the for this story. And then I said, ooh, is this going to make a lot of people mad? Because, you know, the name of the site's major spoilers, but heaven forbid we spoil something <laughs> on there. But, you know, this is Dark Horse doing this before the issue, you know, the issue hits the stands. Mm-hmm. And I thought that people would start responding and commenting on the major spoiler site under the comment section about, oh my gosh, Angel's Twilight, I can't believe Dark Horse is ruining the surprise before we get there. But nary a blip. Now, is this in Buffy? Yeah, this is in the, this Buffy. Is the Buffy. Yeah, this oh, is the Buffy okay. series. Because I was, I was going to say, if this was like in in one of the Buffy spinoffs, I can see nobody reading it. But Buffy still, like people still that's read like Buffy, right? One of Dark Horse's number one titles, yeah. that they have. So you know that there's people reading it. Matthew, were you surprised by this uh, surprise cover release? This is the first that I've heard of it. What? Matthew doesn't read the major but... spoilers website every day. What? Yes, he does, and Matthew also has a real job, unlike certain people who just, you know, toil in the halls of academia forever. But it should be noted that we cannot prove that Angel is Twilight. That may actually be Special Agent Seely Booth, 
Ooh. Yeah, that's a joke for those people who actually know what I'm talking about. Never mind. I um, sure don't. <laughs> you ever watch Bones? David Boreanaz, who played yeah. Angel, is now playing. Um, Stay with me here. My God, it's a pop culture website. Where are you from? <laughs> Mexico. All right, Ohio. <laughs> yeah, that's Ohio. Via Mexico. You can claim to be from Mexico all you want, but you're from friggin' Ohio. <laughs> so what'd you think, Matthew? Hi, this, my name's Now that Roger. I've spoiled it for you, Angel is Twilight. What do you think? I don't like it. Why not? But I don't like it. Why not? For one thing... Well, there's an Angel series from IDW right now, and, s- and my brain does not like parallel tracks of evolution. Right. right. Now we've seen the- we've seen crossovers even when Buffy and Angel were on separate networks. We saw one or two, at least one or two episodes where there was some crossover action going, and there was that one episode of Angel where they went to Europe or whatever to track down Buffy, and they, there was this, this gl- glimpse of Buffy right at the end. So there's been some that crossover was action after Buffy was canceled. Was that what it was? There's been a little crossover action before, even between the two networks. And there was some news reports that came out this past week that talked about how does this affect the IDW Angel series? And depending on who you talk to, it's not going to affect the uh, series at all. Uh, Comic Book Resources did an interview with uh, Scott Alley, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's the editor of Buffy and also the people at Dark Horse. And they and he said that Dark Horse and IDW have come together and said that they're going to make it work. Now, apparently what Scott Alley said was he talked with Chris Ryle, who is the um, president, CEO, editor-in-chief of uh, of IDW Publishing. But Will, Bill Willingham, good friend. Well, I don't know he's a good friend. We still need to set, set up that interview with him, but he has said he'll do it with us. Bill Willingham said, first I've heard of it. First I've heard of anything. Five scripts in. Uh, no one's talked to me about anything. Josh Whedon and I met in passing five years ago. Nothing was ever said about this. As far as I know, there is no crossover going on. The things that happen in the Buffy series are not going to impact what I'm doing here. And he was pretty adamant about it. He wrote a very strongly worded letter to uh, CBR talking about how dare anyone suggest he goes. uh, He says for Allie to suggest that he is in coordination with IDW as he did in that seventh paragraph is grossly misleading at best. By intentionally allowing, encouraging, in fact, the notion to exist among the comics reading public that Whedon and Dark Horse are in any way uh, steering or influencing the stories I help to produce in IDW's ongoing Angel series, well, they're committing what is tantamount to taking credit for the work of others, a repugnant practice in any business, although I understand it has all too common in some businesses. Yikes. Ooh. So he was, and he goes on and on and on. He says, as long as I'm writing an Angel series for IDW, I will not be coordinating stories with any Dark Horse comic, period. Wow. A pretty strongly worded message from, from Bill Willingham. What is that how you kind of feel there, Matthew? I kind of jumped no, all over you there. I'm, I'm, I'm not writing Angel. Um, right. So I don't have that kind of emotional attachment to it. No. But no, I do have Matthew. a problem with. Go but. on. <laughs> All right. I, I I do have a problem with two things taking place at the same time, and this comes from my time in Doctor Who fandom. What? Um, there are lots and lots and lots of places. For instance, I don't know if you know this, but there are actually two Ninth Doctors. What? Uh-huh. They, uh, the BBC did a an animated short called The Scream of the Shalka, 
which had the ninth doctor. And at the time, the BBC said, yes, this is our official ninth doctor. Yay, he is the ninth doctor, and this is number nine. And he was voiced by Richard Grant. And then BBC Worldwide said, you know, we're going to relaunch the show, and this is the ninth doctor. And all of a sudden, the Richard Grant doctor kind of went by the side and is now just kind of this artifact, the Shalka doctor that nobody knows anything about, really. Kind of like that Star Trek so, animated series. You know what they should do? They should have a Time War cartoon starring that doctor and work him back into the continuity. There you go. That'd be interesting, where he ceased to exist. Well, what's really fascinating on a completely unrelated note is Richard Grant, who played that ninth doctor, was in a movie called Withnail and I with Paul McGann, who played the eighth doctor. <gasps> really? Ooh, mm, yeah, pretty cool. So you're not a big fan of the... I recommend looking it up. You're not a big fan of the angel reveal. I don't think the angel reveal makes a whole lot of sense. There's been no setup. No, granted, there hasn't been a whole lot of setup at all for who Twilight is, but having it be Angel, just dramatically, for, for Buffy's arc, yeah, it makes sense. But Angel being somewhat of a separate property, yeah. it kind of undermines Angel's individual life, which makes me wonder yeah. if this is really Angel, if it's an alternate Angel, if it's somehow, you know, not really Angel or a time-loss Angel, or something that's going to feel a little bit like a cheat. If you're a huge fan of the IDW Angel series, Mm-hmm. And then you find out that in this official Joss Whedon stamp of approval Dark Horse comic, none of that really happened. Angel has really been, you know, working for the government, dressing up as Superboy and wearing a coat. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not thrilled with this reveal. It's going to depend on how they do it. If they give have, me just a mind-blowing, oh, my God, that's so awesome, then, yeah, I'm on board. But I have not read the IDW Angel series, although they've provided some free copies here and there that I haven't read, though. Doesn't this series take place, like, well after the events in in Buffy? Like, after the fall? Isn't the world supposed to have been all in hell and all that kind of stuff? It's not like... Just Los Angeles. Oh, okay. So it's not like the Angel stuff is happening in the same time period as the Buffy stuff. So this... You know, what Bill Willingham's all upset about could have happened in, in Angel's past and doesn't affect the stories that he's telling. Well, I don't Angel know. After the Fall supposedly takes place sometime after yeah, the, the end Angel, of Angel series. series 5 season, series finale. Right, and that, that went on for what? a year after the Buffy season 7 finale. Right, so... So, yeah, it could be past or future, but it's also one of those moments where it feels like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Yeah. And I can see why Bill would be irritated because I would be. if you look at it from Bill Willingham's point of view, you're writing a book, which is supposed to be this character's primary book. And then, you know, for all intents and purposes, your boss's boss has stepped in and said, well, maybe Angel isn't really there. And, it, you know, it definitely seems to be something that you could construe as undermining what Bill's doing, what IDW yeah. is doing. Yeah, it, it, it undermines the, it, it undermines Angel. It's like, um, like if you had, you know, Squarehead Superman's cartoon and Squarehead yeah, Batman's yeah. cartoon, yeah, yeah. and in Squarehead Batman's cartoon, Superman behaved differently, like he was right, like the right. Dark Knight Superman and was like, where are you are stupid. Right, right, right. Then, you know, people would be upset about that. All right, well, it's something to think about. I really thought it would generate more commenting on the site, but it really hasn't, but... Now, listeners, here's your chance to head over to Majorspoilers.com and talk about it. 
Two other stories we need to get to. This new segment this week is a little bit longer because there are like these three major stories. First, the angel reveal. Then Sweetums. Right. And then Sweetums getting it on with the all Sweetums. the ladies. He's a MILF hunter, for, indeed. And then, of course, this news do that came out. Do not say MILF hunter. <laughs> you do not want to have anybody enter www.milfhunter.com. Please do not do this, people. <laughs> Matthew does not get don't, a percentage Don't jump of any there place. from our side, please. <laughs> I do not condone the utilization of any MILFs, but I so, think that one girl in the back is actually the transsexual from To Live or, <laughs> live or Let Die. So the other big news is we know that there's been a lot of back and forth on this Spider-Man 4 movie that Sam oh, Raimi yeah. was directing. They finally got Tobey Maguire on board. They started to think about who the villain would be. Then they kind of started dragging on production towards... Uh, towards the holiday time. Then we come back from the holiday and we found out, oh, Sony has decided to bump the release date, this first movie of the summer release date that Spider-Man 4 would normally be in. Mm-hmm. Then we've got John Malkovich saying, oh, yes, I'm going to be the vulture in Spider-Man 4. And the very same day, Sony comes out and says, oh, no, we're sending Spider-Man 4 to the curb. His yeah. ass is gone. And we're going to reboot the entire series. W- w- what? Yeah. That was my reaction is... Not that they were canceling the movie, because that's fine. You know, if they need time to go back and work it out, then that's fine. I have no problem with that. Better story is always the good thing. Mm -hmm. Don't try to do special effects and make it something it's not. But the thing that surprised me was this. We are rebooting the franchise and putting Spider-Man back in high school. Tobey Maguire is out. Thank God Kirsten Dunst is out. But so is Sam Raimi in this series. Yeah. Uh, And Ultimate Spider-Man, the movie. Well, that kind of makes sense, but I think... Then again, know, Spider-Man part, was kind of ultimate Spider-Man, the movie, yeah, really, if you think about it. The, the movie, though, is a franchise that's been fairly successful, even though a lot of people say, oh, the third movie sucked. I mean, it was successful. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah was, it was a successful movie. And then just two years later, you're going to say, well, we're taking this entire popular franchise and sending it back to the beginning. That is what's shocking to me. I, I mm-hmm. mean, Batman, I mean, yes, he's been rebooted. But between the awful Batman and Robin and Batman Begins, there's a 10-year gap. Mm. So poor little Rodrigo went from a 10-year-old to a 20-year-old. Is that about right? Probably. To figure out yes. that, hey. 10 not... plus 10 is, in fact, 20. <laughs> no, I went from a, like a 17-year-old to a 20. Wait, I'm not even 27 yet. <laughs> Hang on. Depending on when you're listening to this, hello. That's right. Uh, but that's the thing that surprises me. There's nothing wrong. I mean, there's nothing technically wrong with the franchise that you can't fix. Now, if you let it continue down the road, you end up with Batman, and then you have to take a 10-year hiatus. Mm-hmm. But to do this in the middle of a run, this is, to me, is just outrageous and insane. Yeah. They're doing this with Fantastic Four. They're rebooting Fantastic Four as well. I'm just surprised that they're just halting it and saying, we're scrapping it. We've already got a script written for a high school Spider-Man. We're going with that. See you, Sam Raimi. Quit being a pain in our ass. Somebody on the side had a really good comment about it, and of course... I should have probably prepared this while you were talking. But they they said that um, what this probably is, is them just maintaining the franchise in constant development right. until they can right. figure out what they're actually doing with because it. Because if it falls out of development, then, then Marvel's Marvel are like, and, and, and more importantly, mm-hmm. Disney yep. gets their hands on Spider-Man. Um, 
So, and wouldn't Disney Spider-Man be fantastic? Blah, That'd blah, so blah, often. we're Disney. We're not going to touch the stuff. <laughs> You're, they're so going to touch the stuff. Um, <laughs> no, no, don't touch my stuff, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Mickey but Mouse, they're not no. going to inhale. That's important. <laughs> don't touch my stuff. <laughs> don't touch. <laughs> Show uh, us on the doll where Mickey Mouse touched you, Stephen. <laughs> don't touch my doll. And ironically, octopus. it's a Mickey Mouse doll. <laughs> No, no, go on. Frederick, and he, sorry. What 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 this uh what this person was saying. Um, that's probably what they're gonna do. They just don't want I wouldn't I personally would not be surprised if they go back and say, Well, forget that reboot, we are gonna do Spider Man four. Let's get all the gang back together. Nothing will come of it, and then they'll say it again. Yeah, but by until that time... they can sit down, figure out, grab a writer, figure out what they actually want to do with it. Um, yeah, I think this is just a swerve to build hype and to say, "Look at us! Look at us! We're still, we're still touching it. Our hand is oh, still yeah, on Spider-Man." Yeah. And that's why they're talking about, you know, Ghost Rider two and all of these other things. Mm-hmm. Now, I can understand, you know, when they did Hulk, that that I could have a reboot of the Ghost Rider. Yes. Now or at whole... least they should edit Ghost Rider so that they <laughs> so take all, out so they all, take uh, out Ghost Rider yeah, so that it's all, all like just a zany yeah, it's, it's just all... a zany romantic comedy between uh, <laughs> Nicolas Cage and Ava Mendes. Yeah, so maybe you should just cut out everything but the Ava Mendes scenes. Yeah. Now they did this with Hulk. The thing with the Hulk was it was one movie, it did good but not e- exceptionally well. Matthew and I have admitted that we like the movie, the first movie, the Ang Lee one. Uh, but they said, hey, let's retool this, let's refix it. When the the Incredible Hulk came out, it really wasn't a reboot. Yeah, I mean, you could see yeah, that it was kind of a continuation, but it is different characters. It is kind of a different situation as far as the backstory was tweaked a bit. But you know, it's yeah. But it's I mean, it's essentially not a reboot to where it's oh, this is a brand new fresh movie. So My problem is everybody knows who Spider Man is by now. It's a big, developed billion dollar franchise, and to kick it to the curb like this and not try to work it out. Is I don't know. Um, you loved it when they called it the Dark Knight. I did. I did. So how is that any different? Tim Burton put tons of effort into his first two movies. Oh yeah, and, he did. You know showed. the Val Kilmer. The Val Kilmer movie wasn't half bad. And even no, Batman I like the Val and Kilmer Friends. One. You know, Batman and Friends had an interesting set design. Yeah. So well, I mean, that's those the thing, four though. movies came out and they created a mise en scène, if you will. That's French. It means uh, something or other. And then we rebooted it to this whole gritty looking but me. Not, I'm not but not but not three years after the last one. No. They waited six ten years. years. After the last. No, ten they didn't years wait after ten the years. last one. They waited seven. No, I don't think so. But they That's waited wrong. enough time to where the foul taste of Batman and Robin was able to at least start to exit. The, uh, the the the, now, the, the collective the collective yeah. tripes of right, America. Right now, Matthew, I've what do you think of this whole story? And pieces. I've seen bits and pieces of Spider-Man Three with Lloyd from Wings as the Sandman, and I'll tell you, from what I can see, I don't see any reason why we couldn't reboot. When it comes to superheroes, you, you, we have to realize something. Oh, this happens Peter all Parker, the time. Peter Parker's been in college since 1971. Peter Parker has been in college for 35 freaking years. So uh, Tobey Maguire uh, first takes his role at 20, and then he plays it again at, what, 26, and then he plays it again at 30. Tobey Maguire is easily going to be, you know, 
long in the tooth to play Spider-Man. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So I don't have a problem with rebooting it or, you know, even doing it as a prequel. Well, that's fine, This is what happened to Spider-Man in high school, you know, before all the things that happened in the Mm -hmm. Spider-Man, the original movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think the kids are going to be confused by it because... Let's be honest. The kids who saw this movie five, six, seven. When did Spider Man come out? Two thousand two, two thousand one, something like that. Yeah. All those kids are now in high school. Yeah. So they either understand that things get rebooted, or they don't care about Spider Man anymore. Yeah. I, you know, James Bond has not really had a reboot. You just have different James Bonds. Yeah. James you know, Bond has been rebooted a number of times. We have different. Uh, we have the different Pierce directors. The Brosnan era of James Bond was a complete reboot. The the one well, the, the George Lazenby James Bond the wasn't a Royale you can think to do as a reboot, but the Daniel Craig version of James Bond yeah. is absolutely a reboot. Yeah, I I don't know. I just think it's too soon to to do this to Spider Man Four. That's my problem from from a business standpoint, from a audience standpoint, from a mass audience standpoint. I'm not talking about a geek audience or a nerd audience who I can't believe they did this to Spider Man. Not that standpoint, but from a pure business standpoint, doing that is just going to confuse the audience. So I don't, I, I don't so. know. This is a story that's generated a lot of comment up on the, the Batman Strikes. That weird anime Batman series. Yeah, I watched one Ran episode of three it. Three years, not for me. And then a year later, literally oh, yeah. a year after that yeah. series goes off the air, they revamped it with the cool Oswald voice '60s Brave and the Bold Batman. Yeah, which is an awesome series. Yeah, I really don't think that a reboot means the same thing that it used to. And I don't necessarily think that there needs to be a lot of time in order in between different versions of it. There's no reason why a teenage Spider-Man played by the kid from Twilight and that Tobey Maguire oh, Spider-Man Lord. can't be on. There's if a mouse can, in the kitchen. But if, if they can do that, that's on. fine. Here's the deal, though. I, I think what what it boils down to probably is they might actually be trying to make believe it or not, the best movie possible. Well, and that's because it's entirely possible that at this point, first off, like Matthew pointed out, Tobey Maguire is going to be 45 by the time they shoot mm-hmm. this Spider-Man right. 4. Um, Kirsten Dunst has been holding out. Back. Yeah, I don't think she's, she's going to be. She, and everyone, everyone involved, I bet you, is asking for buckets of money. Oh, I'm sure they are. And they're going to... The, the movie's might not do that well, you know. Sam Raimi got burnt a little bit with Spider-Man Three. I mean, there was such a backlash. Well, from and that's the part Spider-Man of the, fans. part of the problem here is Sam Raimi really wants the Vulture, and Sony is like, "Really, the Vulture? No, we want we want these five other villains, right? Kind of things." So. The Vulture is an awesome character. Can be. We um, love Carnage. Like in uh, like in the Spider-Man cartoon, where yeah. his only line is "Osborn." <laughs> but anyway, um. What I'm getting at is the reboot might be the best option just because might be. wipe the slate clean. Yep. I mean, you have all you have the issues of Spider-Man 3, which might be minor. You can get over them. Mm-hmm. You can always just turn a blind eye to all the weird stuff that sure happened. You can. But um all of a sudden there's a new Mary Jane or all of a sudden Mary Jane's gone all together and you have a Gwen Stacy thing going. People like that that will throw more grit into the gears. I'm sure. Than you know them saying that Harry didn't actually die. Yeah. Just like the whole, you yeah. know, the Sandman actually it's, killed it's your a father. Risky, it's a risky uncle. uncle Ben, yeah. It's a risky move is, what I, is yeah. what I see it as. It's a risky move. But right now they're sitting there thinking, you know what? Worked for the Hulk. Yeah, it did. It did. All right. Let's move on to some DC news. Good night. After Blackest Night comes 
The Brightest Day. Brand new series. It's going to be a 28-issue bi-weekly series beginning in April. And it is going to have a zero issue, and then it's going to be followed by a bunch of uh, banner titles where they're going to put the bright, the Brightest Day banner on a bunch of other titles, including the Titans, including um, a Justice League, I don't know what it's called, Justice League blah, 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 blah. And, um, and I forget what the third title, oh, Flash, Flash Rebirth. Hmm. A lot of people are already calling this uh, DCU Rebirth. It's being written by Jeff Johns, obviously, and his Everything run with is. the Flash Rebirth and Green Lantern Rebirth, yeah. Uh, that's why they're calling it DCU Rebirth. Matthew, what do you think of uh, Brightest Day, what you've read about Brightest Day? It seems like every time we do this, sucker MCs want a battle. No, every time we do a big uh, astronomical bloody blue and we, we blow everything up and then zombies come from the sky or we kill everybody... They say we're going to revamp and we're going to do something bright and, and shiny and, and entertaining and sweet and good and kind. And it just never seems to, to happen. So if they're really going to put their efforts be- behind giving us something, something new, something different, right. I don't have a problem with, with it. I have a problem with what they've shown us so far in that I don't want to read Dan DiDio's editorial caveat that Barry Allen is the greatest Flash ever of all time. Well, that's also um, Jeff Johns' stand, too. Titans has been a dead issue, <laughs> no pen intended, that, that, for me I'm for a while. I'm surprised that they are trying to do anything with Titans, because that thing does not sell more than 20... Last last issue sold, like, well, 27,000 copies. Well, it's got to be a revamp. It's well, got to be a revamp, because Beast Boy has joined the Teen Titans, mm-hmm. and Donna, Cyborg, and Nightwing, well, Nightbat, Batwing, are all going to be in the Justice League. Right. I believe Starfire is going to be in the Justice League. So, Who knows uh, what's going on he, with Wally West? You've got Raven floating around. You've got uh, Roy Harper, who's going to be Armless Sinel. Um, <laughs> that's going to be his new name, Armless Sinel. <laughs> so, how about he'll be the midwinter? It's got to be a revamp. It's got to be a revamp, and maybe we'll get lucky and they'll bring back Hawk and Dove and Gnark. Yeah. Um, presuming that Tempest survives uh, having his heart ripped out and eaten by his ex-wife. Tempest could be floating around. In any case, what you're looking at is that's got to be a revamp, a complete mm-hmm. reboot. And what was the other one? Uh, it's Flash Re- Rebirth or the Flash Ongoing series. Uh, Justice League, Justice League of America, uh, beginning with issue number 44, is going to have another all new team. And then, of course, the mm-hmm. Titans. Those are the three that they've announced so far that are going to have this brightest day uh, banner on it. But also running in concurrently. Now, I said this Brightest Day is going to be a 26-issue bi-weekly series, so every other week you're going to get that. In between those weeks, we are going to get... Um, we're going to get Justice League Generation Lost, which essentially takes the Justice League International characters, check out the roster that we know so far, Captain Atom, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Fire Ice, and Rocket Red... And uh, putting them all back together. This is being written by Keith Giffen and uh, Jed Winnick. And we don't know who the artist is, although if you've read the major spoiler site and read in between the lines, you might have an idea who that might be. Um, But essentially it's the Justice League International story. And that's going to run concurrently alternating weeks with with the Brightest uh, Brightest Day uh, title. I just see this Brightest Day series as... 
when I first saw that cover, I was the only thing that came to my mind immediately was Zero Hour, mm. where they're not rebooting the entire universe, but they're taking all of these problem titles and they're scrubbing them clean, making them all sparkly and bright and white again in hopes of getting the new characters back. The thing that bothers me the most is this Justice League one, which is now this is the, what, 20th team of the Justice League since the series you know restarted with issue one a couple of years ago, Matthew? It just seems to be like a running, revolving door of people coming in and out, and it's like, we've got to create a new team. Let's dismantle the old team. Let's create a new team, then dismantle it and bring in a new team. And it's like every writer wants to create their it's, own team, and I don't have a problem with that, but, I mean, you have the to have The problem is that you legacy. get a new writer every month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, every two, three months. You gotta, you gotta wonder what the people in the DC universe are thinking. You know, I mean, can can you really put your trust in a team that can't hold on to its members? Well, and that was kind of the big thing with the uh, with that first Justice League when Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman were deciding to step out and saying, you know, what's going to happen with the league? How can we keep doing this? Let's make uh, Black Canary the leader and all of this stuff. Uh, going back to just the brightest day concept, it makes sense. And if we if we, what is the brightest day concept? Well. That they're scrubbing everything and giving oh, it this sparkling new thing. Let's try to polish this up. Let's try to move away from, and we don't know this for sure, but the way I see it is let's move away from this dark and gritty and let's bring in some light and some bright. Now, that's probably not how it's going to really work out, but I like the idea of of kind of the idea behind it from what we've seen so far with the essentially three problem titles, Flash, Justice League, and Titans being involved. And if they can resurrect him, if Jeff Johns can take that Flash on going and make it exciting stories again like he did with Hal Jordan, great, I'm going to read it. I love the cover art that, we, that they showcased on the site. Love it. I'm excited about this series. But back in my mind, I can't help but thinking you can only polish a turd so much, and it's still a turd. And so maybe not using some of these troubled titles as your, your banner for the next big story arc may not be the bestest idea in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should definitely have them restart Legends of the Dark Knight. Because God that dang it, I it. tell you, Legends of the Dark Knight was popular. Never heard of it. The Maybe Justice you've heard it under League, its new name, Batman Confidential. The JLI, <laughs> the JLI characters uh-huh. have an audience. They do. I want to read it. Now, there's no uh, J.M. DeMatteis in there. How about the JSA? What's so. happening to them? JSA, they've got their new JSA All-Stars. Isn't the team been split in two? You've got the All-Stars and the old leaguers. So you got two essentially JSA titles well, going what on. What you have is the JSA Gold, which is led by Gene Gray, and the JSA Blue, which is led by Cyclops. <laughs> and oh wait, we want to know what you, the listener, think about all of these stories and a whole lot more. There's so much more. Who is ultimate? Who who or what is Ultimate X? I got to tell you, we we've seen four characters now. There is a fifth mysterious character that will appear fairly soon. Uh. There's, All there's these no things, room in that poster. Well, it's a secret one. Oh. That's what Marvel told me. They said there's a secret one oh. coming out tomorrow. You know, there's enough space up in the top for that green camera guy from X. Maybe something Factor. or other. Uh, but there's a lot of stories up on the Major Spoilers website. Check them out. Comment on them. We love the comments and the discussions. Everyone's keeping it civil. It's a fun place to hang out and, and talk and uh, express your views about what's going on in the comic book world. And I tell you what, we need to take a commercial break right here. Not really a commercial break. Eh, maybe it is. We'll be right back. How to get a major spoiler shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the make a donation button. Three, 
Donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Major Spoilers podcast. My name's Matthew alongside Stephen. And Rodrigo, uh, we do what we do when we do what we do. After the news, it's time for You Guys Have to Sing. No. Oh, you, you mean us? Sing? I thought you were talking to the listeners. Yes, reviews. That part of the show that you all tune in for, where we spoil the latest and the greatest and the not-so-greatest books that have come out in the past week, this week, where? next week. Wherever you may be in space and time. This week, I picked up BPRD, the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Development, or whatever it is. Or a PURD. It's labeled as King of Fear number one. But I got to tell you, Matthew, it's actually number 64 in the BPRD series. It all began with the Plague of Frogs storyline that started many years ago when the series first began. Now, this issue begins following the events uh, immediately following the Black Goddess storyline, uh, and the team is trying to explain to the government why they were in the Himalayas and why a huge army got wiped out by a bunch of frogs and giant crab monsters and why the Yetis came to their defense and all this good stuff. Essentially, the government has grounded the BPRD to say, you are no longer allowed outside of the United States, or at least you're not going to get any military support if you decide to go outside the United States. And uh, so Liz Sherman and Abe Sapien are like, wait, the frogs are massing. We have to stop this. You can't just let us hang out here in the United States where nothing is happening. We have to go out there. And uh, and the government's like, ah, sorry, but they're kind of working on something so they can go back to the Shangri-La place or Nepal or wherever they were before. Now, meanwhile, and this is an interesting thing that some people may not know, that R- Lobster John- Johnson is back. <gasps> well, his ghost is back and has inhabited the spirit of um, Johan, uh, caused him to manifest itself. And they helped at the end of the last story arc, or Lobster Johnson did. And Kate is trying to help Lobster Johnson go back to the great beyond, wherever he's at. So what they do is they end up going back to find Lobster Johnson's grave that appeared in Conqueror Worm, that storyline, way back when. Mm-hmm. And I hope that the this, this, this spirit will detach from Johan and Johan will be safe and Lobster Johnson can go on to the better world. The plan kind of works, though. The surprising thing, and this is a spoiler moment, Johan does not come back. Somehow Lobster Johnson's spirit and Johan's spirit have detached themselves and are gone. You know, I don't know about you. I don't know if you guys have read any of the BPRD stuff, but I really enjoy it since it began because it does allow readers to continue to explore the Hellboy universe. It really expands upon the creepy frog story that appeared in Seas of Destruction when they first appeared, Mm -hmm. which we've reviewed on the show before. Uh, They're deep stories. They're steeped in continuity, which when you think about it is both a treat and a curse on the treat side those who voraciously devour every single issue of Hellboy, the attention to detail is really perfect when you read all 64 issues in a row. It's really hard to find flaws in the storytelling, the plot points, and how everything is rolling out. The curse, though, is that if you really want to understand this series, you have to read it from the beginning. So do not let the fact that this one says number one convince you that this is a good jumping-on point 
because you will be quickly lost. Okay? Maybe that's what Mike Mignola is trying to do. Maybe he's trying to develop this big, deep universe a la George Lucas with Star Wars to where everything has its point in time. And if you miss this reference in a book from 20 years ago, you're not going to get it in the movie when you see it. And I can appreciate that. Um, it does ensure that people are going to do repeat readings because every month when I open up the new BPRD, I'm like, what happened before? Mm-hmm. Who are these characters again? What's going on? But it is a fascinating story. The Guy Davis art is about as close to Mignola as you're going to get these days. It's enjoyable to look at. I'd be interested to see what would happen if Davis were allowed to do the BPRD in his own style and not mm-hmm. try to mimic the Mignola style and see what what happens there. Uh, I think it could be really different, but, you know, I guess if you're trying is to create this... Guy universe, Davis? Yeah, Guy Davis. Yeah. Guy uh, Davis' style is very similar to Mignola's style in its natural In, in, uh, in its natural form? Okay, if that's the case, then that's great. But I'm just looking at this going, oh, this is so much like Mignola, I can understand why he's... He was hired to do this because he can make it look that way. Um, bottom line is for wait, BPRD. Wait, round fingers or square fingers? Uh, you know, I don't know. One, <laughs> I think they're square fingers. Uh, the bottom line for BPRD is if you're a horror, if you're a diehard Hellboy fan, then this is an excellent first chapter of the next story arc of the BPRD. If you're a casual reader or looking for something new to pick up and read at the comic book store when you go this week... Go back and read Conqueror Worm. Go back and read (laughs) Conqueror Worm and read all the way up from the beginning. Don't let this number one brandling fool you. It's not an easy story to jump onto. It's a very good story. It's got very good art. And for the true fan, the first issue of King of Fears is well worth four slices of meatloaf. Nice. You know, I keep t- I, I keep saying it's like, oh, you know, the X-Men should do this and Superman should do this. They should take individual storylines that are not necessarily stuck in continuity, mm-hmm. like Hell- quote-unquote like Hellboy does. Right, and right. then I've, I've slowly come to the realization that that's not actually true. Yeah, the neat thing about Hel- the Hellboy stories is you can read the stories out of context. You mm-hmm. could go back and read the, um, the king of whatever the king story is that's going on right now. Actually, and you I actually that. have. I like. I, I think the first Hellboy story I read was Conqueror Worm, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool." Yeah, yeah. Before and so you don't have to understand it, but you know, you know, there are moments in here in this in this issue where Kate is reminiscing about the you know the when um, the homunculus, whatever his name was, um, when he fell. Dave. Yeah. At this location, and she's like, "Oh, I remember how Hellboy felt at this time when he fought the Conqueror Worm." And they actually have a flashback sequence in there mm-hmm. where she's telling, asking Hellboy, "Where, where are you going to go next?" Oh, I think I'm going to go to Africa. Right. Well, that leads to that Hellboy Africa story, and you're like, "Man, there's so much." They've really compacted this universe and made it so deep that yes, if you want to understand what's going on in this issue of BPRD, go back to the first Hellboy story and read on, my young lad. Read on. Rodrigo, you've got uh, you got to make some music. You're gonna light the lights. Light the lights. You're gonna play the music on the major spoiler show tonight. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> as you may recall, I have I, I I reviewed the Muppet Show number one before. Oh yeah. But this is a new a The Muppet Show. Yeah, the first Muppet Show you read was like the Muppet Show comic book, mm-hmm. Legend of Peg Leg Pizza, no, that Treasure, was, or something that like was, that. That, that. that predates it in continuity. Oh, okay, all right. Because the, and, and, and I just totally blanked out on the name, it is Peg, Peg Leg Wilson. Right, right. Um, 
which I didn't read because I thought that it was like the Muppet Peter Pan stuff, and I was oh, like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm not familiar with that story. I'm going to skip it. It's it's the current Muppet continuity, apparently. Okay. Um, so I started reading Muppet Show number one, and it comes after the events in Peg Leg Wilson, ah. where the Muppets have lost their theater, mm-hmm. and they're traveling across America, essentially trying to raise funds to get it back. You know, pretty similar to kind of Muppets Take Manhattan. Sure, sure, sure. Or actually most Muppet movies in which the Muppets are totally broke. Yeah, hey, kids, let's put on a movie. Um, So the the first thing that's kind of striking about this issue is that it's actually kind of plot heavy. There's a lot of stuff going on. You know, Kermit's trying to keep the Muppets together. Fozzie leaves. Really? Yeah, he goes. I hate and, you guys. I'm running away. No, he's like Kermit. I'm gonna try to strike out on my own here, and Kermit's supportive about it. He's a little sad, but you know, um, all that happens. Miss Piggy threatens to leave, but she doesn't in the end. Oh, Kermit. Um, yep. Um, clearly voiced by Frank Oz <laughs> in my head. Um, and that is interesting. You get a lot more out of this comic if you have seen the original Muppet Show, right? Because even. When the comic book starts, they do the song and they have different lyrics because they're on the road now. So mm-hmm. they talk, you know, it's time to strike down the tents and oh, cool. all this stuff. You know, it's time to pass out a hat for cash and things like that. And they uh, have Stadler and Waldorf's country cousins. <laughs> so they're like these two hillbillies who look exactly like them. They're sitting up in a tree <laughs> watching them. A lot of clever ideas. It was... Pretty light on jokes, though. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I think the only joke that really made me chuckle was at the very beginning, and it was just like a completely. It was it was like the uh, it was the Muppet News, and it was just like this completely throwaway joke that actually had nothing to do with the story. Um, it's interesting. It is kind of like watching um, the Great Muppet Caper or Muppets Take Manhattan, right? Um, but I found it to be a little flat. Really? Yeah, I think. Um, I'm only going to give it two slices of meatloaf wow. at this point. It's okay. it's a little low. Hopefully they'll pull it out of there. But um I was you know I just I started reading it and I got through it and I was like it, I was just kind of not impressed. It's interesting. They're doing interesting things with the characters, which is weird. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's the fact that it's a little plot and character driven that's a little weird. It's not just zany muppet craziness you know i i will say this and this is again an ongoing Mm -hmm. and we should point out that this is a a book that uh, boom studios provided for us to read and review um ftc you know i've been reading the walt disney comics and stories and the donald duck Mm -hmm. adventures and this new donald duck and friends story that they have going on is also the same way you think about donald duck as this crazy zany you know you know kind of character and then you read the story and he's a secret agent and he's actually a very strong character and there's really a big plot. And mm-hmm. so all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is a different book. It's fun to read, but it's really different. And I kind of like how they're taking what a lot of people might think as light characters and putting in some, some deeper, more intelligent stories. It is a thin line though, because at some point, you know, some characters are kind of slightly defined by how shallow they are. Right. Right. You get, you can, you can call them iconic, but really, mm-hmm. I mean, is there much more to Donald Duck than the fact that he gets angered easily and has a horrible speech impediment? Right, right, right. Not really. He's, you know, he's that guy. You know, is there more to Sam the Eagle than, you know, his crazy patriotism? Mm -hmm. Probably not. In fact, he... My patriotism runs deep. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Um, In fact, there's probably not... In fact, his patriotism is, is, is such a shallow joke 
Right. And that's what's funny about it, that you probably wouldn't be able to point out whether he was a Democrat or a liberal, for example. <laughs> I am a blue or, sorry, uh, yeah, Republican Democrat all Republican. the way through. He might not be. You don't know it. Yeah, There's, yeah. you know, yeah. he's just ridiculously patriotic, and I guess he hates hippies. So, <laughs> um, so that that pinpoints it a little bit more. Yeah. So um, only two slices of the meatloaf. You're gonna read I, the next issue. I think I am. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, check it out. Maybe you'll disagree with Rodrigo, and you can comment in the comment section saying Rodrigo is so wrong. Or better yet, you can go over to the major spoilers forum mm-hmm. and then say Rodrigo is so wrong because, because that's the, where there he's in I charge. can actually delete. <laughs> I can you actually, actually delete, delete your comments. Uh, yes. All right, Rodrigo. Thank you for that. Now, Matthew. Here yes. we have a series going on right now called uh, Blackest Night that DC is putting out, and one of the gimmicks you that do? they're doing Get during out. this essentially what is it a skip month for Blackest Night between six and seven? Yes. Uh, they are resurrecting. They're resurrecting all of these old titles, titles that they have canceled, including Weird Western not Tales. all of the old titles. Well, DC not all has like 50,000 titles. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. Uh, they've, uh, this You're not going to see Undead oh, they, should, they should bring back Young Heroes in Love. That would be awesome. And kill them all. There you go. Yeah. Uh, this past week they brought back uh, Weird yeah, Western and Tales and Suicide Squad number 67. And I want your impression right. of Suicide Squad number 67. Yeah, see here. Oh wait, that's my impression of Edward G. Robinson. Um, that is not funny. Wait. <laughs> yeah, that you know what? Not you have absolutely. <laughs> Sam good. the Eagle. Sam the Eagle is so good. Oh, horrible! Suicide Squad really number sixty-seven. That's Suicide Squad number sixty-seven. The original Suicide Squad went six six issues, written almost in its entirety by John Ostrander and his wife Kim Yale and dealt with a lot of the same characters that are in The Secret Six. It's important to note that this is less Suicide Squad number 67 and more Secret Six number 16 and a half. Really? Um, We open with one of the really clever things that DC has been doing during Blackest Night. You'll see uh, basically a two- or three-page flashback of a character's life and career, and then you'll see Download Complete, and you'll see the Dead Lantern version of that character come out. right, right. This one starts with the Fiddler, who's an old school Flash villain. The Fiddler actually was part of the formation of the Secret Six in their original incarnation. So the Fiddler comes out of the chamber under the uh, Justice League's Hall of Justice. And again, who came up with the idea of keeping all of your dead enemies in one place? Because I'm hoping it was Batman. <laughs> that's probably brilliant. He probably planned this out before he knew he was going to die. And like, I want to get you bastards. Exactly. The Fiddler rises, and then we immediately cut to a Suicide Squad mission. And the Suicide Squad always had the services of Deadshot, the greatest assassin in the DC Universe. They don't have that anymore. And their replacement isn't nearly as good. She's a girl named Yasmeen, who is okay, but she ain't no Deadshot. Amanda Waller decides she needs her some Deadshot back. Well, Deadshot is off with the Secret Six, and the Secret Six, the reason I say this is Secret Six number 16 and a half is it continues the plot lines from Secret Six. Oh, so um, are Bane, we going to have to, are we going to have to have read Secret Six in order to understand this? Not to understand it, but okay. to get the jokes. Because Bane, who in, in the regular Secret Six title has taken over the role of Scandal Savage's daddy has put her off the team. She's now in a secondary role, 
And in this issue, her girlfriend shows up to take her on a date, and Bane sits her down and asks, what are your intentions towards the girl? <laughs> and it's fascinating, and they talk, and they have their thing, and Scandal shows up, and she's still upset at Bane. She says, I hope her intentions are purely carnal. <laughs> at which point the girl is like, maybe we'll skip the movie. <laughs> so it's an interesting you know, a little moment. The Secret Six ends up going off on a mission. Uh, their mission is to break into Bell Reeve Prison, which is the headquarters of the Suicide Squad, and it turns out to be a big Kansas City shuffle. Right. Amanda Waller has lured them out so that she can attack Secret Six headquarters, and the entire Secret Six is taken down. Some of the fascinating things that happen in this issue, Black Alice has joined the team, and we see Black right. Alice in action. Uh, Catman faces down with the Bronze Tiger. I don't know if either of you are familiar with yeah. either of these characters. Right, Bronze Tiger this has shown two, up in, in several times. This is two second-tier heavy-duty badasses, both of whom have proven themselves to be better martial artists than the Batman. Yes. I am looking forward to that particular fight. Deadshot, of course, meets his replacement. And it's a beautiful moment where she starts talking. She's like, maybe you're not as good as I thought you were. Maybe we should shoot. I'll give you to the count of three. One, bam, Deadshot shoots her in the chest. I wow. love this moment because it, it shows that Deadshot, it's just like the moment where Deadshot is watching the guy trying to rob the mini mart. Mm -hmm. And he takes the gun from the kid and then shows him how to rob the mini mart and keeps right. the money for himself. Right, right. Beats the snot out of the kid. It's an interesting moment. And we end with all of the dead Suicide Squad members, and there are many, coming back to life to be continued next week in Secret Six number 17. Ah, uh, okay. So it is one of these so, that you kind of have to... If it, you want to know what's going on in Secret Six, then you need to have this issue. Kind of clever, though. Yeah, well, it is. It is very clever. It's written by Gail Simone, who handles Secret Six, and co-written by John Ostrander, who wrote the 66 issues of Suicide Squad. So it really does pick up where Suicide Squad left off, but it's also the next chapter in the adventures of the Secret Six. The Secret Six is one of the best books out there right now, because... As far as I'm concerned, it, it takes all of your expectations of a comic, all your expectations of characters in the DC universe, and turns them on your head. Mm -hmm. And it gives you characters who are extremely unsavory and unpleasant and damaged and freaky, and it makes them fun. I mean, we're looking at, you know, the adventures of an immortal lesbian, a man who thinks he's a cat, a suicidal hitman, a man who was surgically altered to where he's now completely out of his mind and also apparently has no genitalia, an immortal banshee, and another person whose name escapes me. Oh, yeah, that Batman villain. Yeah. So it takes characters who shouldn't have anything to do with one another. It puts them in situations where no one wants to be, but it makes it so entertaining, and it makes the characters so much fun and so accessible in a weird way. Mm-hmm. That, as far as I'm concerned, even if you haven't been reading Suicide Squad, if you haven't been reading Secret Six, jump in, get a feel for this book. This is Gail Simone's real, real big title for me right now. Uh, Wonder Woman, don't get me wrong, bigger character, good book. Secret Six is better. Secret Six is better right now than a lot of things that I'm reading, including uh, Adventure Comics, including Superman, including, yeah. you know, just saying. 
Yeah, no, it's a very agree, good bro. book. And even though this is an ongoing chapter, I'm still going to go with four slices of meatloaf. Okay. The art is interesting by Jim Calafiore, whose name I believe is uh, Italian for the cattle are dying. Uh, something okay. like that. Anyway, definitely four slices of meatloaf. Yeah, it is though a book that is tying into what's going on in the ma- the major DC universe and leads cool. directly into the next issue of an ongoing book. Excellent. All right, everybody, those are our three reviews this week. We will, I don't know, our after this reviews. new year, we've been kind of, we've been kind of messed up on our schedule of getting reviews out on the site, uh, mainly because of the holidays and school starting back up and a bunch of other things right now. So hopefully we will return to our regular review schedule within the next week. I know with the uh, strange weather that we've had uh, down, down south with our good friend Stacy B., uh, pipes are bursting everywhere, and he's kind of a refugee at the moment uh, trying to get that uh, taken care of. But hopefully we'll be back into our regular review schedule in just a little while. In the meantime, what you can do is go down to your local comic book shop this week, maybe buy one extra issue of something that you haven't tried before. Mm-hmm. And as you're checking out at your local comic book shop, say, hey, local comic book shop owner, just like that. We appreciate you being around. Because without you, we would not have these books to buy each week. Give them a little incentive to stick around. I know in the next couple of weeks we're going to hear a lot of stuff about digital comics, and that's going to put the LCS on the on the on the scared side of of business. And uh, you need to let them know that they're still appreciated and they still need to stick around as long as possible. There you go. That's what I want you to do this week. And tell them major spoilers. Do what I tell my agents to do at work. Tell them we love them and make them go away. Exactly. All right, everybody, now that the reviews are done, it is time for the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Week, 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 week. Why are you trying to steal all of my jokes, Stephen? Week, 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 week. Because I'm waiting for Rodrigo to step on all of your lines this week. We haven't seen him in a month. I know, and he's not saying anything. Thanks for coming. Thank you for being a part of the Major Spoilers experience, Rodrigo. Yeah, no problem. Yes, Matthew. Thanks for coming back. Now get out. I've been in Ohio. I'm too busy to come and be on the show. <laughs> well, you know, we have the Skype. It's universe. Oh, I want to do that. How, you know, it would be really cool. I was out for in three and- shows, <laughs> and I called in for two yes, of them. Yes, you did. The last show, I didn't call out. Because you didn't watch Doctor Who. No, I did, actually. Oh, did? Oh, the okay. reason why I didn't call in is because while you guys were recording, oh, you were I was transit. circling around yeah, the airport because right. there was a plane crash. Oh, really? Yes. All right. Lots of drama in our lives like, these last couple of weeks. Your phone. So that's why the plane no, crashed. I can't. That's why the plane crashed. I was, I was literally in an airplane and could not use my phone. Literally. <laughs> so our that's poll this week is not about plane crashes and who was missing for how many weeks and called in or called out, but it's all about the idle rich and their manservants. <laughs> uh, Steven made it sound funny. Dirty. Look, we've there's two on the Marvel and DC side. There are two very rich people, Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. And um, um, Bruce Wayne. That that guy. Yeah, that's right. I couldn't tip in my tongue. Oh no! Wait, Dick Wayne. Dick Wayne. That's right. Tim Wayne. Or maybe yeah. it's Damian Wayne. Who you knows? You know, Stephen. But they if have. Stephen was writing the Marvel, the DC universe. It would be the Adventures of Clark Wayne. No, it would be the Adventures and, of and Legends of the Dark Knight all the time. That'd be our company wide title. Hal Wayne. Hal Wayne, the Green <laughs> Bat. I love him. So so. Atrocity. Wayne. Wayne. If you're rich, <laughs> if you are rich like Tony and Bruce Wayne are, you have a servant to help Wayne, around the Wayne. house. And if they're a trusted servant, they probably know your secret identity and probably know 
what's going on and can help you out of the situation. So for Tony, it's uh, Edwin Jarvis. And for Bruce, it's Alfred Pennyworth. Now, if these two were put in a ring and were asked to battle it out, who would win? Now, keep in mind, both have military experience. Mm -hmm. Both have fighting experience. I don't know if if Jarvis has medical training, like field training like uh, Pennyworth does or not. But these are two experienced people that uh, probably could take any three of us, probably all three of us at the same time, and put us (laughs) in our place. So the question this week, Rodrigo, is... Put the butlers in the ring. Who walks out standing tall, prim, and proper? Hmm. I would probably say Alfred, if for no other reason than he's more developed as a character. Hmm. Okay. I think I think Jarvis has, you know, largely been ignored. He's, you know, you have Batman and Batman's a loner, supposedly. Right. Um. So he always you you do need to have something for him to bounce off of, and a lot of the time that's Alfred. Mm-hmm. Iron Man, like most of the time when you see Jarvis, you actually see him in an Avengers title, right? Especially going back, you know, when Avengers when he was the butler of the Avengers Mansion, right, right, which used um, to be a Tony house until right. they gave it over to the Avengers. Sure, which you know that that means that most of the time there are nine guys in tights walking around, mm-hmm. and. Those guys tend to be more interesting. So when somebody's going to ask their opinion, you know, somebody's opinion, first they're going to ask Firestar's boobs, <laughs> then Hawkeye's going to yell out what he wants to say, and then maybe you'll ask the butler, but let's face it, the butler can't shoot lasers out of his eyes, so does it really matter? So I think Jarvis is underdeveloped. Doesn't mean he's a bad character, but you very rarely see any exploration of his character. Um it's interesting to see how they've both kind of developed into kind of balding, thin guys. And I think they both yeah. started out as like pudgy, pudgy, like ridiculous guys who were mostly comic relief. Right. So who are you, who are you going with, Alfred? I'm going to go with Alfred. All right. Matthew, weigh in on this issue. Well, there's a couple of things that are counting against Alfred. Primarily, the super cool Pennyworth alias is not his original last name. Right. Alfred's original last name in Batman number 16 was Alfred Beagle. Right. Okay. And over the years, Alfred has evolved a lot. Uh, At one point, I believe he was played by a thin actor with a mustache, and that's how he mutated there. He died, came back from the dead. He became a villain called The Outsider, who basically looked like an albino guy with the plague. Mm Mm-hmm. Then he died there. Then he came back from the dead. Um, I believe that his his backstory has been retconned extensively. At one point, he was a French freedom fighter or something who slept with Mademoiselle Marie. And then it turns out, no, he was actually an Israeli ninja. I don't know. Um, the whole thing with Alfred is he's been around for so long that much like Batman himself, there's more than one interpretation. Mm-hmm. My favorite, of course, is Michael Caine as 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 Alfred. Hello, what do you bloody mean? You know that Michael Caine voice is one. Dick Van Dyke as Alfred. Hey, I have <laughs> an idea. Hello. Speaking of, oh, you finish your sentence, and then I, I got I've got something I forgot to what? mention. So, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that. I didn't want to interrupt your thought process with my, <laughs> you know, my actual opinion. Perish for bit. Stephen had something he forgot to say. It's important. Jarvis, on the other hand, while less of a 
of a, a two-fisted super guy is also, I think, more realistic. He's more modest. He was, you know, a boxer during the war, but he doesn't necessarily fight. If you've ever read Avengers 201, mm-hmm. <coughs> which me, I haven't, where the Avengers are gone anyway. and, and it's all about Jarvis. I right. like Jarvis because Jarvis takes care of the Avengers because he told Tony Stark's father that he was going to take care of his kid. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where I'm going to lean toward Jarvis because Jarvis is more consistent. He's more of a piece. There haven't been so many attempts to jolly him up or kill him or make him a villain or, you know, give him this awesome super heroic backstory so that he's as cool as, as Batman. Alfred has probably a bigger place in pop culture and always will, but I'm voting Jarvis because Jarvis is Jarvis and Alfred is an amalgam of a lot of different takes on what Alfred could or should be. For me, Alfred. What does the rest of the people say? Matthew, what does the rest of the people say? What? What are the spoilerite legion? Uh, How do they vote? They don't vote the with Matthew this week, that's for sure. Say, well, no. For some reason, hang on, let me get there. Oh, okay. Man, your website runs slow, Stephen. It's because we're getting hit. We're getting so many people hitting it. I had to actually shut the website down for an hour this past week when we had the A-Team trailer up before anybody else, and holy crap, everybody and his brother came in. Mm. 20,000 people in under an hour. 20,000 people in an and hour. We, and hopefully they, they clicked on some things. They crashed the site. Yeah, they did. They're doing it anyway. again. Right now, 85% of the people voting for the one they've heard of, 379 total votes in, which means that maybe 65 people believe that Edwin would win a fight. Jarvis is not shown to be a two-fisted man of action, mm-hmm. whereas like everyone related to the Batman universe, Alfred's background is filled with unlikeliness and, and butt-kicking. So, Yes, so there you go, people. You can go over and vote. Maybe you want to vote for Matthew the way Matthew votes. You're going to need about 500 votes uh, for Jarvis in order to uh, bring him out on top, uh, but you can head over to Majorspoilers.com and check that out. We're going to take this quick break, and then I will tell you about something cool we got in the mail uh, in just a second. Hey, guys. I just want to say I'm a huge fan of uh, the Major Spoilers podcast and of Critical Hit. In the last couple episodes, you know, I've been hearing a lot of references to other desktop RPGs, and I just I wanted to ask if you could do a major spoilers episode or maybe a critical hit episode where you review some of the other games that are available. I personally am a fan of the uh, the Spycraft and Mastercraft and Fantasycraft system, and I'd love if you could touch on those, but, you know, really would just appreciate any other games that, that any of the staff would recommend. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great day. Bye. Hey, Major Spoilers crew, this is the Ugly Hooker calling in. Um, I wanted to uh, see if you guys uh, had any thoughts you'd like to share about, uh, I believe Dark Horse just put out um, Dr. Horrible from Dr. Horrible Sing-Along Blog. Uh, I believe it's written by Joss Whedon's brother. It's not written, but written by Joss. But I uh, wanted to see if you guys had a minute to check it out. Had any thoughts you'd like to share? I did, and uh, me being a uh, huge Dr. Horrible fan, uh, loved it. It was uh, not only uh, hilarious, it was a cool little insight into uh, what Captain Hammer was like and uh, what uh, Dr. Horrible himself was like when he was a wee lad and growing up. Um, it's an awesome 
one, uh, awesome issue one, and uh, you guys should really check it out. And if you haven't already, if not, uh, if you have, share your thoughts. I want to hear them. I want to hear what uh, Matthew and Rodrigo and uh, Stephen, what y'all have to say. And uh, the art is also really cool. Um, again, I thought it was awesome and am very excited to see more of it. Uh, hope you all had a good new year, safe new year. Uh, be safe. Until uh, next time. Goodbye. Okay, I had mentioned a moment ago, when Matthew starts into his, uh, his funny uh, English accent and tries to uh, be our, our good friend Dan Hunter, the Englishman from New Zealand, it reminded me of something we received just a week or so ago uh, that got lost into a pile of stuff. Greetings, Stephen, Matthew, and MIA. I'm guessing uh, that means her uh, I wanted to show my appreciation for the work that that you do toward creating the all-encompassing major spoilers experience and even put the little TM next to that. I previously previously spoke of my joy at a British comedy series called Space that was released back in 2001, which follows the adventures of confused 20-somethings navigating their way through life. Space Series 2 on DVD, my gift to you. Please show it love. Don't let it get wet. And whatever you do, don't play with it after midnight whilst sing a Candyman three times whilst looking in the bathroom mirror. What's the relevance to major spoilers? Well, number one, the series is co-written by Simon Pegg, self-proclaimed uber-geek extraordinaire, and has a plethora of popular culture, comic, and film references littered throughout that outshine anything done by the Wayans, or Wayans Brothers stable. Okay. It's frick- and number two, it's frickin' funny to boot. A point on which Matthew agrees. The downside is, he says, I can only find Series 2, and you need to see the f- Series 1 first. Have you seen Spacer at all? Mm-mm. Matthew, you've seen it? Anyway. Yes. Thanks for the hours of wit, entertainment, and let's not forget reviews. Here's to a great 2009 and looking forward to an exceptional 2010. Make mine major spoilers. Dan Hunter, friend of the show, sent this, this gift all the way. From New Zealand. Amazing. And uh, we are we, not going to be able to watch that because of the regional coding. I, he said it is, uh, looks like region four, region two. We might be able to on one of the systems mm-hmm. here to be able to play it. In either case, I've got a system that will be able to rip it into something that we No, we don't. Do. No, we don't. We do not have I, such a I thing. It. I, it is something called, uh, I'm allowed to make one copy for backup purposes. It'll be backup purposes. There you go. <laughs> um, and, of course, we did listen to a little quick comment there uh, during the break. And if you have any comments or want to contribute to the Major Spoilers podcast, Matthew, please roll that beautiful bean footage. 7, 8, 5, 7, 2, 7, 19, 39, the Bad Mofo Hotline. <laughs> and only the Bad Mofo's call. That is true. Okay, in our yeah. time remaining, in our last uh, 20 minutes or so that we have remaining this week. Seven and a half minutes. Let's talk about the five fists of science. Science, science. <laughs> Off a little bit this week, Matthew. Time okay. perfectly. You can sink it in post. Yeah, there we go. Hey, check this out. Here's a true story. In 1899, Mark Twain and Nikola Tesla decided to end war forever. With Twain's connections and cool. Tesla's inventions, they went into business selling world peace. So what happened? Only now can the tale be told in which Twain and Tesla collided with Edison and Morgan, that beat the JP version, an evil science cabal merging the black arts and the industrial age. Turn of the century New York sets the stage for the titanic battle over the very fate of mankind in the five fists of science. 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 All right. Science. 
Matt, <laughs> Matt Fraction wrote this piece. Um, I forget who did the art on it. I don't have it here in front of me. Um, man, I am a science geek at heart before comic books. Hmm. I was going to be the physics major going to college. <laughs> before I discovered comic books, you know, I was actually going to it was, be a doctor. Before I realized that there were no hot girls in the physics department, <laughs> I decided to be a physics major. But after that, I decided, communications! Um, but man, when I, I've read Nikola Tesla's biography, I've read some of his notes, I'm well-versed on what a dick Thomas Edison is. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, most people know J.P. Morgan uh, and, uh, and of course, Mark Twain. As characters, so reading this book, I will say, just strikes it, just strikes it, and makes this a fun story because we are mixing these characters and some of their character aspects. And even though it is a fictional story, although we're trying to believe that it's true, even though mm-hmm. it's a fictional story, we mash it together, and it's just a riot in how Fraction has taken these historical facts and merged them into this weird science fiction tale. Rodrigo, you want to give us a quick wrap-up of, of what happens? I can't. I kind of gave an overview of it, but give us a little bit more of a breakdown of what goes on in this story. So this is post-World War I? Uh, no, 1899. So oh, World okay. War, it's before World War I, but it would be after probably Franco-Prussian War. Right. Yeah. So there's this big um, pull for armistice, and or however you pronounce that. Sure, world peace. Um, armistice. You know, lay down, lay down your arms. Let's all be friends. But nobody can get it right. You know, everybody's uh, wants to jump all over the czar, um, wait for him to you know be weak, and then take over Russia. And then um, the United States isn't putting forth any effort or anything like that. Mark Twain has had it. Um, so he gets in contact with his old friend Nikolai Tesla, and he discovers that Tesla has, in fact, completed work on a killer giant robot. A giant freaking robot. Um, as Tesla was wont to do, you know, the the original uh, concept of the death ray, I believe, was Tesla's. Right. And what's funny about that is, of course, the uh, the project that he, uh, what was it called, Westfall, I think, was the was mm-hmm. the place where it was at, and he was creating this giant death ray tower that he was supposed to broadcast electricity free but when mark twain goes out to new jersey mm-hmm. there's this giant robot in its place that's right so some hilarity ensues they try to sell it it doesn't work um they enlist the enlist the aid of a historical character that i had never heard of which one the Bar- baroness oh yeah 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 the um man what is it uh we'll just call her the baroness we'll call her the baroness. destro was busy um, <laughs> he was busy that day, and I don't—I don't think she was even a baroness in the book. She probably had some other aristocratic she was title. A baroness. Uh, well, there you go. Bertha um, von Sutton is a baroness. Well, there you go, practicing the clarinet. Um, she <laughs> goes out and she helps him out. Um, and we come to find out that this kind of similar cabal on the opposite side of the street. These captains of industry, um, including um, Edison, right? That's the uh, the sworn enemy of Nikolai Tesla. Yes, and mm-hmm. um, JP Morgan, em- Emilio Marconi, Marconi, the other son who, of a bitch who s- stole the uh, the idea of the or the plans or whatever of the 
wireless right. radio, essentially, right. Right. Um, from Tesla. Right. Um, and they're being funded by um, J.P. Morgan. And J.P. Morgan. Who's the other guy? The other big steel magnate. Uh, Andrew Carnegie. Uh, Carnegie, that's Carnegie, right. right. And pretty soon we realize that they're not just evil captains of industry, but also dealing with the occult and trying to summon forth a demon from beyond the world. Which may or may not be a Cthulhu type beyond the world HP Lovecraft creation. Right. This this uh, they they did put it very like hell centric. Right. Which was nice because right. that's I, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna deviate here for a second and say that I may be just that about fill of historical pulp. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, what else have you read? Um, oh, are I, you talking about atom- Atomic Robo? Atomic type Robo, stuff? Okay. Hellboy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and you know, it's not like if you know new Hellboy comes out, I'm not gonna read it and I'm not gonna like it. But right. right. This stuff Maybe. has been explored, and mm-hmm. this is to me comes across as a little bit more of the same you know i hadn't seen anything with mark twain as a character since the adventures of mark twain right um which was uh, awesomely creepy (laughs) um so that that exploration of it was interesting but now i've seen probably four different interpretations of nikolai tesla Mm -hmm. sort of this weird pulp like he's awesome they're doing the same thing with hp lovecraft and all right hp lovecraft you know he built a teleportation machine for a wolverine yes um so you know i i'm 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 starting to 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 think that like i i want to see something else and something different because this brand new crazy different thing has they they've been doing that they've been doing it since like the this turn of the century. Right, right. And now I'm a little bit, starting to get a little Played tired out. of yeah, it. This yeah. did come out in 2006, and we did talk about right, this yeah. in a previous show about your first encounter with mm-hmm. it and, and those kinds of things. Um, Matthew, pick up on, on the adventures. They they find out that uh, the evil sons of bitches are into this black cult. and uh, Well, they actually find out in a very interesting way. Uh, because Mark Twain actually sets up a fake creature from beyond right. using uh, Tesla's Tesla's uh, basically his science science and at that point Carnegie and Morgan invite them to lunch because they think that the demon quote unquote that they've actually summoned is real and then when they realize and Twain frankly tells them yeah we made him up yeah, with science. To try and sell, you know, the, the giant Iron Man armor that Nikola Tesla had come up with. And that's the point where they're like, oh, you people suck. And, of course, you know, uh, all horror ensues. But I like at that point in time, we find out that Carnegie and his friends are actually involved in super black magic of a Cthulhu mythos. And then Am I, like, really, really delayed? No, 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 no. We're just pausing because I thought you were going to continue. What I like about what Twain and Tesla are doing is Twain doesn't believe that speaking about peace is going to work. You have to essentially create assured mutual destruction scenario. Right. And instead of selling Tesla's giant robot, and it's a remote-controlled robot, that's the other cool thing. You essentially move your arms and legs, and the robot will move its arms and legs. Um, The thing is, he doesn't want to sell it to one country— he wants to sell it to Every all the countries, and it boils down to the major powers at the time, mm-hmm. the United States, 
uh, England right. and he's Russia, basically Russia. trying to create an arms race. Right. And it's a brilliant way. And I like the way that they're trying to do it. Uh, but in order to do it, they have to use Twain's hucksterism to, you know, create this this monster scenario. And all the while that the the robot is fighting this invisible monster, Twain is shouting out on the streets, science, we're winning because of science, peace through science. And it's just this big montage of, you know, Twain trying to convince the general public that, you know, this giant robot is the way to to achieve world peace. And mm-hmm. I just find it really hysterical. And- the Mark Twain voice, the, you know, the that uh, kind of uh, Mark Twain voice that they did in that episode of, of Star Trek The Next Generation yeah, Hal Holbrook, is uh, clear yes. enough. Yeah, it's clear enough that you can actually hear those lines mm-hmm. in the Mark Twain voice. You can hear him trying, like a carnival barker. Exactly. It's fascinating. Whereas, you know, Tesla's voice is less known, but I imagine Tesla is talking like, Garth Algar. Okay, well, what we did was we made this giant robot, and now we can save the world, and everything will be fine. What's interesting I is, it, you know, it's, it's oh, awesome. yeah, when you can certainly there are some very distinct voices in each of these characters and how they're portrayed. Uh, mm-hmm. Twain and Tesla get wrapped up in this tower that Carnegie and Morgan and and Edison and and Marconi are building. Uh, and they find out that Edison is a real nut job. Of course, we've known that all along. I mean, even in history, Edison is just, a, a like I said, a dick in everything that he did. And if you want to argue the fact with me, I'll be more than happy to tell you why Thomas Edison is a dick. Uh, but you can look that up on your on your own. I mean, he electrocutes elephants to try to prove a point. Come on. Um, but uh, he's this weird guy that goes out and has tried to trap every mythical creature out there. He tried to capture the uh, uh, he does capture the abominable snowman, the Yeti and tries to have it devour Tesla, but it backfires on him. Um, The tower ends up being this huge summoning device to bring forth all the beasties. And so there's a beastie attack in the uh, the city. What? Now I know why why Rodrigo hates this. Why? Because it sounds too much like Ghostbusters at the end? (laughs) No, because it bit his ideas. Ah, okay. And what? Yes, it's right. The tower's braining down the, the heavens from the heavens. You'll have to listen to Critical Hit to find out more about that. Uh, There's yeah. our weekly plug. Um, so it ends yeah. up being that the, uh, the no, Baroness and the... I, I hate this because Tesla looks nothing like David Bowie. <laughs> but, and I'll, I'll talk about the art in a moment, uh, but the Baroness and the uh, Tim, the sidekick of Tesla's sidekick assistant, uh, they do use the giant robot and very quickly blow up the tower and send all the beasties back to whence they came and save the day through science. Science. Um, <laughs> as far as the art goes, as far as the art goes, I found it very interesting because it's almost like they went in and found as many historical photos as they could, especially of, of Tesla, because there's only a few that we really see of mm-hmm. Tesla. But they actually go in, and it looks like Tesla in the pages. Mm-hmm. Edison somewhat looks like Edison. I don't know if Marconi, Marconi was a, uh overweight man. I've already seen him as skinny. Well, I mean, he's not overweight. He's just a nervous eater. In the... Yeah, yeah. Well, he he yeah. helps himself to everything. I mean, yeah. they really Fraction is really striking and... home the fact that Marconi steals everything. By the fact that Marconi shows up to a meal where um, 
uh, Twain and Tesla are eating and says, oh, mind if I join you? And Twain gets up without touching his plate saying, oh, we're leaving. And in the next panel, you see Marconi, you know, stealing the food from their plate and shoving it down his mouth. At the at the beginning of the book, right. they have a uh, an explanation of the characters, and yes. they go into they go into not just who these people are, but what horrible character assassinations they're they're doing on <laughs> yes. them. And in some cases, you know, I think right. it was with Carnegie, they say, "Hey, he might have been a nice guy. We're just making him bad in this book." But the fact that he supported right. J.P. Morgan is why we are mm-hmm. assassinating his character here. Really, though, I mean, really, Edison, you know, Edison is awarded all these patents and 1300 patents or whatever that he has to his credit. But that's just to his credit because he was the one that got down to the patent office and filed it. There's a place called Menlo Park. Perhaps you've heard of it. Mm -hmm. It's a research center. It's not Edison trying out 50 billion filaments to see which one's going to last longer than three seconds. It's his researchers doing all the work, slaving away, and then he takes the product to the to the to the patent office oh yeah and he claims that as his own eh come on um he, he really how, screwed over science works yes that's general. how science works you screw the other person over in fact he did screw over tesla and that's why tesla and uh, edison have always had throughout the history of their lives have always had an animosity towards one another uh because oh. yeah that's another story this but it plays out really well it's I mean, also the fact that edison was way too proud of being unschooled and self-taught and never actually learned the basics behind what it was he was doing. Right. Um, That's neither here nor there. So from that point, I really appreciate what Fraction has done to really pay justice to the right characters and to really not soil the reputation of the other characters, but to paint in light that, hey, these bad guys, the villains of this piece, were not really that great to begin with. So, you know, maligning them is not going to hurt hurt anybody. Um, and I so, love the whole Mark Twain introduction, though. Oh, with the the light, the story ladies and gentlemen. Is, I yeah. sure do. It's absolutely true. Slight and subtle liberties with historical events, characters, real and imagined scenarios, settings, dialogue, dialects, machinations, character and narrative arc, and the whole of the mise en scene may have been taken for dramatic effect, but that's okay. I love that. Well, I love it from the art All that this it's happened, even though we made some of it up. I love the fact that the art is in that opening kind of monologue welcoming to your welcome to the play that we are about to present to you is we see this light glowing mm-hmm. as the as Twain is narrating and then it just fades out. Now we present our story and it goes off and goes to dark. And I just really like that. And that weird ghost image of Tesla for a split second. Right. Right. It's kind of neat, too. I I like the art. I like the story. The thing that failed it for me, and, and listeners, this is only a 112-page graphic novel at most, 120. Um, but uh, the thing that failed it for me was really the ending. I thought there was going to be a lot more than, shoot the tower, don't shoot the monster, kaboom. And then it's like, essentially, I mentioned Ghostbusters. It felt like a Ghostbusters ending mm-hmm. uh, to me. And it's like this big buildup, cross the streams, kaboom, hey, Ghostbusters. Uh, that's what it kind of felt to me. So I was a little disappointed in the ending. They do have the uh, the denouement of them uh, being cha- essentially uh, exiled from New York City forever and ever for being uh, yeah for destroying the city for, de- for a for destroying the city and b because everybody's immediately convinced that it was all a big hoax right by Tesla and Twain yeah and they'd lost the fortune that they were going to have mm-hmm. um, yeah it's good Matthew thoughts on on the ending or other points throughout the story any 
any story of this type, the ending is going to be the weakest part. Uh, by the way, uh, Bertha von Suttner does look pretty much like Bertha von Suttner. They, they did. They did their research but, on this. So. Yeah. They did their research, and I like... Excuse me, I need to take a drink. My throat's no, going right. out. I like I like the overall in sort of a, a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen planetary sort of faux history vein. I think Rodrigo's point that there's a lot of this kind of steampunk historical fiction is a valid one. I mean, it, it became really a, a genre unto itself in the mm. comic book field to the point where there were enough comic books about it to where you have to differentiate which imaginary version of Tesla it is or which mm -hmm. imaginary character is doing this. You know, it, it's kind of treading that that Alan Moore, here's Alan Quartermain with Dracula's girlfriend fighting off uh, Cthulhu right. thing. Right. Well, they've done that recently like with a that. Teddy Roosevelt time traveler and you've mentioned, uh, you've got a post yeah. somewhere, Rodrigo, about, about Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt being a time, time traveler. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which is pretty awesome. But, but yeah, I mean, come on. And if you've ever read Action Philosophers, Action Philosophers, yeah. Cowboy it's not quite the same thing, but it's interesting. Yeah. I, <coughs> oh, I don't mind this type really of story. Right. I don't mind this type of story. I enjoy it. It's fun. I don't know if I'd like to have these types of stories, like you're saying, Rodrigo, take over like the zombie genre had, you know, flooded every comic book title over the last couple of years. Or I'm not sure I would like these kinds of stories to appear on every cover like Obama has done over the last year. But, you know, in small doses, But, I mean, this, this sort of thing became very widespread. If you've ever seen the movie Van Helsing, it's yeah, more of this. Cyberpunky, yeah. yeah. Poe? Not cyberpunky, steampunky. Well, oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. My mistake. The the Strange Adventures mm -hmm. of H.P. Lovecraft. Yes. Poe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, what was this... that limited series starring Charles Fort? There was no, one you're of thinking of you're well, thinking of uh, Atomic Robo, the Terror from Beyond, or Beyond Space, or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm thinking of Fort. There was well, he Starring he appeared Charles in Fort was okay. Fort. Well, he appeared in that first issue of the Atomic Robo. That's why I thought maybe you were talking about it, but okay. no, he he had his own limited series that I think was kind of steampunky. So okay, it, it's definitely something that you see a lot of. I like bits and pieces of this. I like the way it plays with historical fact and then puts in the comic book bits. Mm -hmm. Tesla with his two ray guns and his goggles on his head. That's a total comic book conceit. Yes. The giant Iron Man robot. That's a comic book conceit, you know, and having the evil conglomerate of businessmen, you know, going up against the, the underdog science guys that, I mean, that's this fact. is all basically <laughs> a comic. I could see coming into this book and I could see looking at it and going, well, this is, you know, kind of a poor man's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. And if that's as far as you want to go with it, that's one thing. But, you know, I saw Sherlock Holmes a couple of weeks ago. Same sort of thing in the same sort of vein. Mm -hmm. So you can't tell me that, you know, it's not a viable method. And it's not necessarily even something to where it doesn't suffer by comparison. It's sort of a different take yeah. on that, you know, historical steampunky fiction. I'm the one who suggested we read this, and I really like it. Partly because, for me, a successful comic book has character moments that I can go, hey, you should read this because this has Mark Twain walking down the street yelling, science, while a giant robot destroys New York. <laughs> I, I will agree with you, Matthew. I found this, this book to be totally enjoyable, and I highly recommend it to anybody who wants to pick up this steampunky type of mixed history 
type story that's really fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a short read. Like I said, 100 pages fly by like that. I mean, you're going to read this in an hour and then want to go back to the beginning and read it again. Pay attention to the detail yep. in the art. The art is fantastic. Pay attention to how Fraction uses yep. wording uh, of all the different characters to give them a distinct voice. Go back and do some history yeah. on these these people. If you don't believe some of the things that I'm alluding to, go back and do your history research and find out exactly how much Fraction did to research the subject matter, all down to the point of how long it took Tesla to eat his dinner kind of fact. Mm-hmm. And so big thumbs up from me. Uh, I thought it was okay. I wasn't... <laughs> And I liked it. <laughs> and I'm on the fence about it. Um, I thought a couple of things seemed contrived. And even though they came out and here like, okay, we're about to show you some kind of contrived things, you know, and, and that I appreciate that. But uh, I thought the, the, the Diabolist angle came out of left field, mm-hmm. sort of. And I got like, there was actually no purpose for Tesla to be a superhero in the first handful of pages. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's just kind of like the introduction of the ray guns, I guess, is kind mm-hmm. of the point of it. But mm-hmm. then after that, I was like, nah. the characterization is good and it, and it's worth it for that. And these are characters that, aside from Tesla, don't get much play in this blossoming genre of, I don't know, historical pulp. Mm-hmm. Well, I think people have discovered Tesla and really found out about him. Well, I mean, it's because he was kind of ridiculous. Well, at the in, time, in, people yeah. thought he was ridiculous. But now you look in the fact that we've got... Um, wireless yeah. electricity, which is something that he was doing way before anybody else started that. And oh, absolutely. It's, it's really, people yep. have really started to go in and figure out who was Tesla. And of course, a lot of his works were confiscated by the government when he died. So a lot of the stuff we don't know about mm-hmm. what he was writing about. So it's it's fascinating. So you're giving this a, a check out, a skip, or a must read? You know, it's it's short. Mm-hmm. Like it's even if you don't like it that much, it's mm-hmm. not going to take a lot out of you. Mm-hmm. So I'd say go check it out. Yeah. You will probably like it more than I did. Five or six bucks is all yeah. you're going to be out. So, all right. So uh, there you go. Five fifths of science. 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. That wraps it up for this week. Thank you so much for science! listening. Thank you for going over to the Major Spoilers Forum. Thank you for going over to the Majorspoilers.com website. Thank you for following us on Twitter. Thanks for being part of the email list for those of you that are on it from since we began. It's all part of the Major Spoilers experience, and I guarantee you're going to want to be on that entire train ride. Next week, we're going to find out if Spider-Man can actually stop the juggernaut. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too. We will talk with you next time. Science! Nothing can stop. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler 
about a better way If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such a chance Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Start raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine me In the Middle East With a gang sign throwing soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler, wow, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010.